This morning, we turn our attention to God's Word in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we'll read verses 10 to 17. If you don't have a copy in front of you in paper form or electronic form, you can follow it on the screen behind me as we read together. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will, be go, will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from your childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I learned a very important lesson yesterday. We had a little Just Dance competition in our home yesterday morning. And if you're not familiar with Just Dance, it takes all the hit songs off the radio, puts them onto the Nintendo, and you have the little controllers in your hands, and you move, do the movements that it shows you on the screen. So we had a wonderful little competition in our home. I had just finished a seven-mile run yesterday morning, and I was still in my running attire, so I still had on running tights. Now, some of you are like, that's a sight to see. I assure you, it is not a sight to behold. There is a video circulating somewhere. I think it's being held under lock and key right now of what took place in our living room. But we cleared all the furniture out. Uh, and then it was my wife and my daughter and myself. And my son was our videographer. And so he videoed this whole thing as it went down. And so we get up in front of the TV and the first song comes on and I slayed it. All right. I just want you to know that I crushed it. Right? I had high score, stars shining everywhere, created my own dancer profile called Dad Dancer. Like that's who I am, man, on just dance. Dad Dancer. Right? And so I, I, I just knocked it out of the park. Uh, and I, and I, I, I honestly, as, as I broke it down, I'm not sure which was harder, the seven mile run that morning or the just dance that I did there in the living room. Uh, but as I was participating in that, I learned a very important lesson that to su succeed in just dance, you don't need really any rhythm at all. Okay, I'm living proof of that, all right? All you need to do is watch the screen and see where the colored hand, the purple hand or the yellow hand or the green hand that aligned with your controller, which way it's moving and move your hand in that direction. You don't have to coordinate your feet. You don't have to just move your hand in whatever way it's moving, right? You just do all these things and raise it up and all that kind of stuff as it's going on and you can succeed. You don't need really any coordination or rhythm to make that happen, Right? It's good for people like me because I have no natural rhythm. You can succeed on a video game and the screen in front of you without rhythm. But listen, in real life, to dance, rhythm is non-negotiable. Right? Whether it be from breakdancing to ballet, if you want to succeed on the dance stage, you have to have some degree of rhythm. 
In fact, in other areas of life as well, if you want to succeed, there's got to be rhythms built into your life. Think about finances. If you want to succeed financially, there's got to be a rhythm of your money, of how it's allocated and used, right? There's got to be a rhythm of giving and a rhythm of saving and a rhythm of spending, right? Paying off debt and allocating resources to where it needs to go and paying your bills on a monthly basis. There's a continual and repeated movement of that. If you want to be successful in relationships, there's got to be certain rhythms in those relationships. There are certain healthy expectations that somebody should be able to depend on. There's going to be a consistent and repeated movement in your marriage, a consistent and repeated movement in your parenting. In fact, studies show that kids tend to flourish when there's some structure and rhythm built into their lives and into their homes. And so if there's no rhythm in your finances, you're going to be completely off the rails. If there's no rhythm in your relationships, things are going to begin to crumble and fall apart. And listen, what I want to talk to you about this morning is establishing a rhythm in your life in 2018 that will help you flourish and succeed as you seek to walk with God. And it's the rhythm of having a, it's, it's a word-saturated rhythm in 2018. It's having a word-saturated rhythm in 2018 in your life. And so I want to see it in this text this morning. I want to show you some things out of what Paul says to young Timothy. He's writing to Timothy. Timothy's pastoring a church that Paul had planted. And Timothy is, is in a context not much different from our own. Because what was going on in Timothy day, Timothy's day continues to happen in ours. Because you had people who were false teachers who were rising up and they were beginning to uh, get, gain access and influence to those who were within the church. And they were leading many people astray. And Paul writes to young Timothy as he seeks to faithfully shepherd these people that God had entrusted to his care. And listen to what he says to him. He says, Timothy, remain in the word. That's what he tells him. That's the command that he gives him. He says, Timothy, stay in the scriptures. Timothy, be in the Bible. I don't have another alliteration to give you or I would. But that's what he says. Timothy, remain in the word. Look in verse 14. In verse 14, there's a command to continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed. That word can be translated abide. It can be translated remain. It can be translated stay. Be rooted, Timothy. Grow in that. Stay in it. Be in it. Remain in it. Continue in it. And Paul says it's a, it's a command that he gives to Timothy, not a suggestion. Right? Paul's not saying, listen, Timothy, I found what works for me. It may not work for you. You may need to find what works for you, Timothy, but I found what works for me. That's not what Paul says. He's not making a suggestion. He's saying, Timothy, here's a command that I'm giving you. It's an imperative. In other words, do this, Timothy. Stay in it. Remain in it. Abide in it. Continue in the word. Right? Because Paul's saying, listen, it's vital to your spiritual health. It's vital to your spiritual health. To be saturated in the Word of God. Now, if that was not enough, I want to give you four reasons why Paul lays down this command to Timothy in the text to continue or remain in the Word. And the first one is this. I want you to see these things in the Scriptures with me. The first one is this. He says, stay in the Word, Timothy. Remain in the Word because the Word is powerful. It is powerful. Look at what he says in verse 16, in the very first part, he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. 
All Scripture is literally, he says, exhaled by God. It's expired by God. It comes out of God's mouth and therefore is inspired by God. It's something that God has set in the pages of human history to reveal himself to us. And there is power whenever God speaks. There is power whenever God exhales. I want you to see this. In Genesis chapter 1, whenever God determines to make everything out of nothing, how does he do it? He does it by the power of his spoken word. Doesn't he? He says, let there be, let there be, let there be, and there was, over and over and over again in Genesis chapter 1. When God speaks, things happen, and they come to life, and things are ordered appropriately. And then in Genesis chapter 2, whenever God takes the dust of the ground, and he begins to put together a little mud pie there, and he forms our first father, what does it tell us in Genesis chapter 2? Listen to what, the, what, what Moses writes in verses 5 to 7. When no brush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field was yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature when God speaks in Genesis 1 let there be and it was God breathes in Genesis chapter 2 and what was dust becomes life see when God speaks and when God breathes out there is power in that in 2006, I had the opportunity to go to Russia two times in my life, and in 2006 was the last time that I went, and I, we worked with a church there in Moscow, uh, and there was, there was, there was uh, an opportunity to serve that church and do some leadership training there with that church, uh, but one of the things that, that, that they struggled with was trusting anybody from the West. Uh, and so in order to earn their trust, we did lots of things there that we wouldn't have normally done on a leadership development trip. We rearranged furniture in the church. We moved stuff. They were doing some construction work. And so we literally rolled up our sleeves, right, and we moved stuff around the facility. It felt like we were moving it from one room to the, back to the same room that it came out of, back to the same room that we just put it in, back to the same room that it came out of. But we were doing whatever they needed to show them that we were there to serve them, to gain their trust. They also wanted us to go and visit the widows, and listen, it was an amazing experience as I went from flat to flat in Moscow with a translator on my hip and sat with these older women and drank tea with them and heard their life stories. And almost to a person, their stories went like this, that they came to faith in Jesus under the communist regime in Russia. And the way that God brought them to faith was his providential placement of a Bible in a closet or in a drawer or in a trunk and they just happened to be going through that closet or that drawer, that trunk and they came across this book and as they began to read this book that they had never seen before, they began to open the pages and turn them. They, they began to read, they began persuaded. The Spirit of God took the Word of God and opened their eyes to see that what this book was speaking of was true and real and valid and they placed their faith in Jesus. There was no commentaries. There were no Podcast. There were no sermons that they were hearing. They were just reading the book. And God said, boom, let me flip the switch. Because the word of God, when taken by the spirit of God, there is power in it. And listen, one of the things that God does is he brings people from death to life. He gives those who are in despair hope. 
through His Word because there's power there, church. So why remain in the Word in 2018? Because God may bring some things to life from the dead in your life. He may take some despair and wipe it away and replace it with hope in your life. Because the word is powerful. But not only is it powerful, I want you to consider what else Paul has to say. It's also profitable. The word is also profitable. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy later on in verse 16. It says that this God-breathed scripture that's inspired by him, he says it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, if something's profitable, it means it's beneficial, right? It does you some good. It profits you in some way. It's of some benefit to you. And this is what Paul says to Timothy, that the scriptures are beneficial. But listen, how are the scriptures beneficial to us? They're not beneficial in the way that makeup is beneficial, ladies. Any ladies can give a witness this morning that makeup is beneficial. It's profitable, right? Every, all the ladies are like, amen, preach it, okay? Right? Because you don't want everyone seeing all this glory, right? Every morning as you walk out the door. Right? And so you stand in front of the mirror and you put it on. You conceal some of the blemishes and you cover up some of the imperfections in the skin in order to present yourself in a way to the world that you want to be seen. Like, and there's benefit to that. right? There's profitability to that. But that's not the way in which the scriptures are profitable to us. That's not the way that they're beneficial to us. They don't present us to be someone. right? They don't put on a face for us that's not really us underneath. Here's what, how the scriptures are beneficial to us. Here's how they're profitable. They're profitable in the way that high-octane fuel is profitable in this old, decrepit outboard engine on the back of this falling-apart Ranger bass boat that I've inherited from my family, right? What I've discovered over the years as I try and use this thing is that if you put regular 87 into that outboard engine, it's going to spit, it's going to sputter, it's going to be slow coming out of the hole, I don't, know, I don't know if you know what that means. That means when the boat's sitting still and it gets up on plane and begins to go get, get close to wide open throttle, that's coming out of the hole, right? It just stutters coming out of the hole. It doesn't run as well at top speed whenever I put regular 87 in it. But if I put 93 and add a little bit of octane boost in it, Here's what happens. It comes out of the hole faster. It's more responsive. The, uh, the top speed is higher. It's greater. And so, listen, the scriptures are profitable to us, not in the way that makeup is to conceal some things, but in the way that high octane fuel is in that outboard engine. It, allow, it fuels us to run at more in more efficient and more productive ways because it does something internally to us, not externally to us. See, that makeup does something externally too. As high-octane fuel does something internally in the fuel lines of that engine and the cylinders as the spark fires time after time after time. And that's the way the scriptures are beneficial and profitable to us. They do something internally to us and they fuel us. And they fuel, Paul says, two areas of our life. They fuel our doctrine and they fuel our devotion. Both of those. The words that Paul uses in the text when he says it's profitable for, he says, for teaching and for reproof. Those two words, when they show up elsewhere in the New Testament, are often related to doctrinal issues. You reprove someone who's gone in error in their doctrine. You teach someone positively what to believe and you reprove them whenever they've strayed off of the, the sound teaching whenever they depart from that faith that was once for all delivered to the saints that Jude speaks of, right? And so it fuels our doctrine. It teaches us what to believe. And it corrects us whenever we err in our doctrine. It shows us the truth about who God is, 
right? When you open the pages of Genesis and you read that there's this God who has existed, that's what I was looking for, from the very beginning, that he's always been, right? And the nature of God is that he's different than us and we are different than him. We are not God, right? But that he became one of us in his son, the sending of Jesus Christ. It teaches us about substitutionary atonement, that there was one who stood in our place and bore our sins, it teaches us about the presence of the Holy Spirit and His power to regenerate and bring dead things to life. It teaches us about His presence to guide us. It teaches us about His convicting work in our lives as He shows us our sin. It teaches us doctrinally what to believe. That word is profitable and, and, and beliefs always fuel life, don't they? They always fuel practice. And so not only does it fuel our doctrine, but it fuels our devotion. See, the scriptures fuel the way in which we live, not just the things that we believe, right? And so the word is profitable to us. Whenever you read a text of scripture, right, and you come across something that you're like, man, I don't know if you ever feel this way, but man, I, maybe a piece of pair of scissors and maybe cut that one paragraph out and remove it over here to the side and paste it over here, right? Here's, here's what happens when, 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 see, the words Paul uses, the words Paul uses, not only teaching and reproof, but also correction and training in righteousness refer to our devotion, practice, to our lifestyle. And there are certain things we want to just cut out, but here's what happens whenever you read the Bible and you saturate it, yourself with it. There's a profitability and beneficial as it courses through your veins. Because what it does is, it, you don't have the flexi- we don't have the flexibility to cut stuff out of it, but what it does is it starts cutting stuff out of us. It starts cutting stuff out of us, attitudes out of us. It starts cutting mindsets out of us. It starts cutting particular actions out of our lives because it's profitable. It's powerful and profitable, but also consider this, Paul says, it's also productive. It's also productive. Look in verse 17. He says, God's aim in giving us the scriptures is not just to make us really smart, but to make us different, make us equipped, make us complete, That's what he says in verse 17, that you have the scriptures for the purpose of being complete and equipped for every good work. God's aim in this is that we might be fully qualified and competent to walk in those good works that he has prepared for us in advance, that we might be qualified to do those things. Now, there's a difference between being disqualified and unqualified, isn't there? You ever thought about that difference? There's a difference between being disqualified and unqualified. To be disqualified means that you have actively done something to prohibit you from participating, right? But to be unqualified means that you may just not have the skills or the abilities or the strength that you can cultivate and grow into over time so that you could participate. Disqualified means you've done something to prohibit you. Unqualified means you need to grow in some things to qualify you to become that way. And what Paul says here is that his aim, God's aim in giving us the scriptures is that we will be fully qualified for every good work that he has laid out for us in our lives. That everything that he has ordained that we would walk in, that we would be built up and strengthened and nourished to do. See, when you think about the difference between disqualification and unqualification, that's not a word, but it will be this morning. When you think about that difference, listen, right, Outside of Christ and apart from him, the the word incarnate, we just celebrated that at Christmas, didn't we? God becoming flesh, 
clothing himself in the likeness of man, humbling himself to the point of death on a cross, that he was born in a manger, he died on a cross, he was put in a tomb, and then we celebrated Easter that he's raised from the grave and reigning victoriously. Apart from Jesus, every single one of us is disqualified for relationship with God, for enjoying life with God, for fellowship with God. We're disqualified by our sin, apart from the incarnate word. But I want you to consider something this morning, church. Apart from the inscribed word, then we are unqualified for the works that God has ordained for us to walk in. And that it's through this book This book will equip you to grow as the Spirit takes the Word and you grow in those works. Think about some of the works that God has laid out for you in advance. The work of sanctification. The work of putting sin to death in your life. You know, in in Ephesians chapter 6, when the Apostle Paul writes about the armor of God, he talks about all kinds of things, all kinds of defensive measures that God has given you, and there's one, one offensive measure, isn't there? There's one offensive implement that God has given, and what is it? It's the sword, and it's the sword of the Spirit, which Paul himself says is the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit. And so as you, grow, as you aim to grow in sanctification in 2018 and in Christ's likeness, here's one of the things, one of the good works that God's ordained for you to walk in as a Christian, that you grow in Christ's likeness and conformity to His image. And the way that you do that is by taking up the Word of God and the Spirit of God takes that Word in your life and it begins to run through your lust and it begins to run through your greed and it begins to run through your self-centeredness and it begins to run through all these areas of your life as He slays them and puts them to death and you participate in that by killing sin, by being in the Word, being in the book. Your sanctification. What about evangelism? It's a good work that God's ordained for us to walk in is sharing our faith and sharing the gospel with those who are around us. As as you're in the book, as you're in the word, remaining in the word, God prepares you to walk in that. It's it's, it's productive in your life. What about the, 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 the command that we have to be encouragers to one another? Encourage one another, the scriptures teach us. How are you gonna encourage someone? Just come alongside and say, man, it sucks for you, right? I just... Really hard time that you're going through right now. Man, if you just kind of hang on, you're going to get through it. Or do you come alongside, and in the appropriate time, and in the appropriate way, right? You don't want to be the guy who just kind of spits out Bible at people whenever they're suffering and hurting. But in the appropriate time, in the appropriate way, you say, consider it pure joy, my brothers. When you endure various kinds of trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, what it's doing in you is producing something that is much more precious than any metal or any gemstone on the face of this earth. All these good works, it prepares you to walk in. It qualifies you to walk in. But then fourth reason why you remain in the Word in 2018 is not only is it powerful and profitable and productive, and you guessed it, it's another P, but it's personal. It's personal. And what I mean by that is this, is the Bible is about a person. Do you know that? The Bible is not just a bunch of principles that are collected and by ancient authors and kind of drawn together and bound up in leather covers that we can kind of take home and put on our shelf and read for our own, um, find, kind of deciphering all the principles that are there that we can apply to our lives. But the Bible ultimately is about a person. See, in, in, I'll show you this in the text. In verse 15, look at what Paul says. 
he says that the scriptures, which he calls the sacred writings, they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And it's interesting to note here that Paul's not talking about the Gospels. He's not talking about the book of Acts. He's not talking about the epistles that he wrote. He's not talking about the epistles that Peter, James, John, or Jude wrote. He's not talking about the book of Revelation. He's not talking about any of the New Testament scriptures. What Paul is talking about is the Old Testament that Timothy would have been acquainted with from his youth, from his childhood, in his home. And that as he read those Old Testament scriptures, Paul says, those scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. In other words, the Old Testament was written... as a roadmap to the Redeemer, is what Paul says. It's a roadmap to the Redeemer. It leads you somewhere. Right? And that's what Paul says, that even the Old Testament, the stories of all the patriarchs and the prophets and the priests and the kings and everything that transpires from Genesis to Malachi, all of that's written for a purpose to lead you on a roadmap so you know how to find and who is the Redeemer. It shows you the identity of the Christ. There are evidences and, and, and fingerprints of him all across the Old Testament. And as one, one former pastor said, and I don't know where he got it from. It's not original to him, but I'll cite him because I don't know where he got it from. Tim Keller, he said this about Jesus covering the pages of the Old Testament. He said, Jesus is the true and better Adam, the one who passed the test in the garden, whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who though innocently slain, has blood that now cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave the comfortable and familiar and go out into the world not knowing where he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better... Sorry. um, Isaac, who was not offered up, who was not only just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me. Now we can look at God taking his son up on the mountain and sacrificing him and say, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son from us, the one that you loved. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled with God and took the blow of justice we deserve so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who is at the right hand of the king who forgives those who betrayed him and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends, people like me. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace but lost the ultimate and heavenly one. Who didn't just risk his life but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us he's the true temple the true prophet the true priest the true king the true sacrifice the true lamb the true light and the true bread the bible is not really about you it's about him it's about him because the word is personal 
it points us to, it gives us a roadmap, even the Old Testament, to the Redeemer. And as you see him more clearly from the scriptures, from the pages of God's word, here's what I want you to know, is that you will begin to grow in love and loyalty to him. And that will begin to trickle down and transform every other area of your life. See, one of the reasons some of us may be struggling in relationships right now, whether it be in our marriages, whether it be in our parenting, whether it be in, 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 in just friendships that we have, one of the reasons we're struggling for some of us is because we don't want to be conformed into the image of Christ that we see across the pages of the scriptures. But what we want is everyone around us to be conformed into our image. It'd make life a lot easier for us, wouldn't it? And as you see him clearly across the pages of the Bible, you grow in love and loyalty to him and you begin to reflect his likeness as you're transformed from one degree of glory to another. So the word is powerful. It is productive. It is profitable and it's personal. So remain in it in 2018, church. And as we close this morning, I want to just break down how it is that you can do that. How it is it you can do that? And here's, here's how I want to encourage you to do that in 2018, by establishing a word-saturated rhythm in your life. Establish a word-saturated rhythm in your life on a daily, weekly, monthly, and quarterly basis. First of all, daily. Establish this consistent and repeated movement in God's word on a daily basis. Find a reading plan. Find a reading plan. Listen, last year we put before you the Bible Project and many of you worked through that last year with the, video that were, the videos that were associated with it. Uh, and you saw how it introduced every new section of Scripture. You saw how it introduced every new book that you were reading in. Right? And it gave you the kind of 30,000 foot flyover of each book so that as you got down on the ground level, started chopping your way through, you knew where you were going before you started going there. It's a beautifully done reading plan. The videos are super helpful. So some of you may need to walk in that in 2018. Maybe you started in 2017 and you got like a third of the way in and it just kind of fell off and trickled down. Maybe you need to restart that and you need to restart it tomorrow, January 1, and begin to walk through that reading plan together. Maybe there's like on Ligonier.com, Ligonier Ministries, they have a variety of reading plans that, that are everywhere from reading through the whole Bible to reading through the Old Testament to reading through the New Testament all within one year. Right? And, if you, if, and, and for those of you who are like, man, I'm just not much of a reader. There's audio books, right? Plug it in on your, on your commute in and fr- to and from Dallas and listen to the word as it's read over you in the mornings. And if you're not readers, I want you to know something, that one of the primary ways God's chosen to reveal himself is through a book. So you might want to become a reader, all right? If you want to grow in your faith. So establish a daily rhythm of reading the word of God and a plan will help you. So you don't play like Bible roulette, right? I'm just going to open here today and then I'll open back here tomorrow and just kind of bounce around. But read systematically through books of the scriptures and then invite other people into that. Maybe it's your family. Maybe in your home with your spouse and with your children. Maybe with your life group that you invite other people into that and together you're reading through a reading plan. That you're all reading the same thing and so whenever you gather around the table of fellowship at life group gatherings, it's not just conversation about NASCAR and about shopping but the scriptures all of a sudden they begin to ooze out of your life because you're saturating yourself with them. Establish a daily rhythm. Establish a weekly rhythm. Establish a weekly rhythm as well. Now, when I talk about a weekly rhythm, what I'm talking about is being with God's people 
in 2018 as we gather for worship and the preaching of God's Word. Be here with us. Make it a priority in your life to worship alongside of other believers and be under God's Word as it's preached and proclaimed. Now, for some of us, that may mean that we have to tell guests who are in town every other weekend, hey, what we do on Sundays is we go to church and you're welcome to come with us. For some of you, it may look like you need to go to bed earlier on Saturday nights so you can get up on Sunday mornings and be here and join us for worship at 1030. For others, it may look like that you need to say no to something so that you can say yes to being with God's people and under God's word. But establish that weekly rhythm. And here's what I want to encourage you to do in January. Go four for four. Go four for four in January. Aim to go four for four. Right, to be here four weeks in January. And then aim again in February to go four for four. And then aim in March and April to go four for four. Here's why. Because as you aim to go four for four, I know there's going to be sick kids. I know there's going to be things that come up. There's going to be perhaps emergencies and you're not going to be able to make it. But if you're aiming to go four for four, then maybe you're hitting three out of four weekends. Or for some of us, We'd be doing good to hit two out of four weekends to be with God's people and under God's word and in fellowship as we sing together. All right, but aim to go four for four because there is, a, there is a cumulative effect in your life of being under the word of God as it's preached and proclaimed week after week after week, 40 to 50 Sundays a year. There's a cumulative effect. It may not have an immediate effect in your life that one given Sunday, but there's a cumulative effect as things build and grow in your life, as God plants seeds and waters in the next week and waters in the next week. And then all of a sudden, six months down the road, that, that seed that had been planted and has been watering, it grows and it begins to blossom and flourish and it begins to produce fruit and flowers in your life. There's a cumulative effect, but there's also an immediate effect at times whenever God's word is preached. Do you know that? There's an immediate effect sometimes whenever the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and He begins to bring conviction in your life. And there's an immediate effect because any given Sunday, God could set your world right side up. Any given Sunday. Right? Think about some of the things that could happen any given Sunday in your life. Any given Sunday, God could graciously reorder your priorities. And he could completely reset the trajectory for your life in an immediate way as his word goes forth and the spirit uses it. He could, any given Sunday, he could expose sin in your life that's been hiding under the surface and out of sight and free you from those sinful patterns. Any given Sunday, God could open your eyes to see that you've never really crossed the line of faith. Any given Sunday, he could initiate this spirit-produced work of restoration in your marriage and heal a relationship that's been hurting for months or years, any given Sunday, he could call you out to start another life group or even plant another church. Any given Sunday, God could call us to lay down all our comforts in pursuit of the American dream, to spend your life in the middle of a desert or in the middle of a jungle or in a frozen tundra or in a mountain village with an unreached people group. That could happen any given Sunday as the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and brings conviction in your life and encouragement in your life and that seed grows and it blossoms. So it can have a cumulative effect but it could also have an immediate effect. And so establish this weekly rhythm of setting a priority for your life to be with the people of God and under the word of God. Establish a monthly rhythm as well. A monthly rhythm. And here's, let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. Right, aim in 2018 to memorize this book. To hide it in your heart. To commit it to memory. 
Now, some of you are like, man, you have no idea who you're talking to. I've never memorized a thing in my life, right? But listen, if that's you and you struggle with committing things to memory, start small. Start with John 11.35. Jesus wept, right? Two words, right? Start there, right? And then build. And maybe you add a, a full verse onto that. Right? And maybe you add two verses as you grow in your stamina and your mind increases its capacity. For some of you who have been memorizing things all your life, maybe you begin to memorize whole paragraphs of the Bible. Or maybe in 2018 you set out to memorize a chapter of the Scriptures. And maybe you memorize Romans 8 or you memorize Philippians 2 or you memorize Ephesians 2. Some of these great chapters in the Scriptures. And you, you commit it to memory. And month after month, even if you just memorize one verse a month over the 12 months for you in 2018, that will mean there's 12 more verses locked and loaded in your mind and in your heart than you have today. So establish this monthly rhythm of memorizing the scriptures and do that with someone else as well so they can encourage you and you can encourage them. And then finally, establish a quarterly rhythm. Listen, in 2018, one of the things that we're introducing as a church, a new initiative of ours, is what we're calling Renew Classes. It's built on the premise of Romans chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul says, be not conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. And so here at Redeemer in 2018, we're going to establish a rhythm a life group rhythm of being, meeting in groups for eight to ten weeks at a time and then being in renew classes for four to six weeks at a time. We're going to have calendars produced. In fact, they're already here. We'll start distributing them next week that'll show you when life groups are on and when renew classes are happening and what classes are coming up so you can know where to register, how to register, and get connected in those. And one of the first renew classes we're going to offer is that it's called Understanding the Bible. Right? It's going to basically teach you through basic Bible study methods of how do you read the Bible and understand what the authors of Scripture intended for you to understand and what God has planted in there. And so we'll talk through basic Bible study methods over the course of those four weeks in late February to late March. And for some of you, that may be the first step for you in a Renew class is considering, I've never really had anybody walk me through how to read this book and understand it, to kind of slice it up and break it down, right? I'm still kind of, kind of nursing myself on a bottle rather than being able to slice up some meat, Listen, one of the things that any parent in the room knows is that as your child develops and grows, if they're going to move into become a mature adult, they've got to learn how to take up a fork and knife for themselves and slice up some meat, don't they? Absolutely. I remember as, as when we had infants in the house and we were just sticking bottles in their mouth, right? And they were just kind of feeding on milk. And then they moved out of that bottle phase into kind of the mushy food phase, right? They got all those nasty ground up peas and squash that you're shoving in their mouths. And they moved from that to like little rice and small grains and the little bits of roll kind of torn up and put on their plate. And they moved from that to some pieces of meat. But the pieces of meat were sliced up so finely you could barely see them. You're like an electron microscope looking down there to try and see those little pieces of meat that are being sliced up for them on their plate. And then you kind of pull chunks of it off at times. And there's a progression as they begin to, their palate begins to handle more and more, and their teeth begin to handle more and more, and they can chew it up and swallow it for themselves. But listen, I want you to consider if there was a short circuit somewhere along the way from milk to meat, because at some point, right, those kids have to learn to take a fork and a knife and begin to slice it up for themselves. And if they don't, if they don't, listen, students, children, if you're in the room, listen. If you never learn how to take up a fork and knife for yourself, I want you to imagine what that would do to you physically, right? Here's what it would do to you physically. 
Right? You would be prepared to go on your first date. Right, man, so exciting. Right, if you're a dude, like you're all getting all planned, right, cleaned up. Hopefully you clean up and take a shower. Maybe not have one for the last week. Maybe take one the day before. And, and you're cleaning out the car and getting everything ready. And, man, you're going to pick her up at her house. Um, and she's, you know, she's putting on her makeup because she's got to conceal some of these things that she doesn't want anybody else to see. So she's getting ready in front of the mirror. She comes down the stairs. Everything's good. Get in the car. But it's really awkward because your mom or dad are sitting in the back seat and they're coming with you. Right? And so you roll up to the restaurant, and you get to the restaurant, and you're sitting there, and you got your mom's sitting next to you, your dad's sitting next to you. Some of your dads, it's like your dream of your daughter's first date, right? I'm just going to go ahead and break it down. Because you, you're like looking at the menu and ordering your food, and you order some chicken, right? Because chicken's a nice, safe choice, ladies, on a first date, because you don't want to blow the bank, and also you don't want things to kind of go wrong with the stomach and all that kind of stuff. So you order some chicken, right? Bland chicken, right? And it comes out on the, on the plate, and it's sitting there in front of you. And then your dad pulls out his nine-inch hunting knife that he just skinned a deer with the week before, and he starts slicing in the meat for you, and he's cutting it up right there for you, right? And, he's, and the whole time he's slicing, he's kind of looking at that dude's eyes, right? Kind of give him the evil eye, and then when he's done slicing up your meat for you, he just slams it down on the table, right? Right next to his hand. Doesn't get him because that would be illegal. But slam, a little intimidation, right? Boom, right there. Now, how, about an, how awkward would that be, right? If you're going on your first date, and your, your mom has to come with you to cut up your meat, guys, or your dad has to come with you to cut up your meat, ladies, how awkward would that be? Listen, some of you, are, you, 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 you wouldn't be moving toward maturation. And for some of you, like right now is a time in your life, you're not too young to begin to learn how to take the Bible, which is filled with nourishing, life-giving sustenance, right? Some meat, and learn how to slice it up for yourself. Right, And so whether you're, listen, we have folks in this church who are single in their 70s. We have folks in this church who are married in their 20s. We have folks in this church who are just trying to get out of high school, right? Or just trying to get out of grade school. But for some of you, maybe that's the, the, the step for you, is to learn how to understand the Bible for yourself. And as you begin to learn how to slice it up. So, listen, March, the, the month of March, join us in a Renew class. And, and, and quarterly, build that into your rhythm of life for you. That you're constantly stretching your understanding of the scriptures so that you can cut it up for yourself. So mom's not having to move out with you whenever you go to college or whenever you get your first job and show up at lunch, your first like, lunch interview and cut up your meat for you. That's not a good move. So establish a daily rhythm. Establish a weekly rhythm, establish a monthly rhythm, and establish a quarterly rhythm in 2018. And see how powerful the Word of God might speak in your life. See what kind of productivity it might have as it enables you to walk in all these things, as it produces the, the kind of qualification that you need to walk in all these works God's prepared for you. And as it continues to introduce you and clarify the person of Jesus across all the pages of the Scriptures. I'll leave you with this. A guy by the name of John Wycliffe said this. He said, Let every man wisely, with meek prayers, and great study, and also charity, read the words of God. Establish a word-saturated rhythm in your life in 2018 and see what kind of big things God might do through that. Let's pray together. Father, this morning... We're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the way that it speaks. We're grateful for the way that it changes and transforms. We're grateful for the way that it, it cuts like a double-edged sword. It exposes things in our lives. It heals us. 
It is powerful. And may we not neglect that power in 2018. May we take it up. May we be armed with it to kill sin, to encourage others, to correct ourselves at times as we look in its mirror, as you use it to do do that in our lives. May we not neglect the primary way in which you've chosen to reveal yourself which has been preserved from generation to generation. But may we be in it rhythmically in 2018. Give us grace to have daily and weekly and monthly and quarterly rhythms that are saturated by your word. May we remain in it and it remain in us and have its way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.